Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Capital Adulting Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Gardner, and as always, wonderful to be back with y'all. Thank you for tuning in, and interesting topic we have to cover today. Uh, this is uh, certainly uh, certainly a new development here on kind of the American economic front. Um, as you can guess by the title, we're going to be talking about Biden's recent announcement on the student loan forgiveness and kind of just diving into the plan, what it entails. I'm going to give a little bit of uh, commentary into kind of my thoughts on it and really what the broader economic impact will be. So, I mean, before we jump into it, I think it's very important to remind folks of something I talked about back in the very first podcast when I was laying out the the mission and kind of what I was hoping to achieve here. So the goal of this is to to educate folks on personal finance, investing, things in the economic realm that really everybody should be aware of, really that baseline financial literacy and education for the American masses, particularly you know young adults, teenagers, which this is very applicable to. I said on the first one, this is not a, it's not a political podcast. It never, never has been, never will be. The lines do get blurry sometimes, of course, when we're talking about something like this. I, to me, there's, there's very clearly a political side to it and there's an economic side to it. So before we jump into really the, the content of things, I just want to make it clear. I'm going to keep in line with my, marching orders my my own kind of personal marching orders since I got this started that this isn't meant to be political and I'm not going to dive into that side of things so by talking about the loan the current loan forgiveness plan you have to specify that too who knows like what may happen over the coming months or years but the loan forgiveness plan of August 22 from from Biden it's not a political commentary we're just going to focus purely on the economic side of things so just making that clear Again, <laughs> I don't typically talk political stuff online, so find me offline if you want to hear the other side of it. But anyways, let's let's talk a little bit about it. So, um, you know, just at a high level, right, this is, there's there's a few different components kind of going into the plan from things that I've read, the, you know, Warren School of Business at Penn, so one of the, you know, the top, top of the line business programs in the country, probably in the world as well. Put the initial cost estimate out there of $300 billion. I've seen some others that say, I should say $300 billion over 10 years. Um, I've seen some other numbers that say when you factor in some of the other pieces, this may run up to half a trillion dollars, right? So the numbers are up in the air, you know, who knows where they're going to land, but just kind of setting the stage, this is a, this is a massive, uh, a, a massive financial decision, right? So just keep that in mind of kind of the dollars we're talking about. That's, you know, three to 500 billion, not, not million. Um, so we're talking about a significant chunk of change and it, again, I'm going to dive into this more, but as you can guess by the title, I'm really going to highlight why this particular plan in its current iteration, again, this is being recorded on August 28th of 22. So maybe things are going to shift, but as the plan stands right now, there are a myriad of economic reasons why this policy is is a complete failure. So we'll dive into that in a moment. But first, let's, you know, talked about total costs. Let's look a little bit more about what's in the plan itself as it stands. So the top line piece that I think most people are centrally focused on is the direct 
uh, forgiveness of outstanding student loans. Uh, not sure about you know all the nuances, the timing window of like who's eligible to to submit for reimbursement if they've already paid their loans off. But as it stands, most students are um, available or they're, they're they have the opportunity to essentially reduce their their outstanding debt burden by ten thousand dollars on public you know on government loans. Um, and then if you had money from Pell Grants, that allows you, there's forgiveness up to $20,000. So depending on kind of the folks status and how much is owed and the sources of the, of those loans, um, 10 to $20,000 in direct forgiveness. Secondary point of it is a continued pause on student loan payments. So this is something that originally, uh, came from, you know, it was part of the original uh, COVID stimulus, right? I, I can't remember the exact, I want to say it was maybe March of 20, somewhere in that window is pretty early on in the pandemic that uh, then President Trump announced a pause on student loan payments. It's been extended, obviously, numerous times up to this point. Biden has continued extending it since he took office. And they are now saying this is the final pause in repayments. But that's going to continue through the remainder of this year. So they are saying, as it stands right now, student loans will need to be paid back starting January, you know, January 23. So that's the second piece of it. And then the third vein, there's several kind of components that tie into this. And I think this is also, this is flying a little bit under the radar, I would say. There's some changes in the policies around you know, repayment requirements, right? Like if you go on an income-based payment plan, what does that stipulate? What do you have to pay? Um, what are the what are the consequences of that? So previously it was, if you went on an income-driven plan, you had to repay, you know, had to pay 10% of your discretionary income, uh, you know, towards your student loans. So this policy change, um, I guess regulation change is probably the more appropriate term to use, that is seeking to decrease that to 5%. So essentially cutting that in half. So folks would at the minimum need to pay in 5% of their discretionary income. There is additional income that's protected, essentially uh, a baseline. The numbers I want to say was like 225% of the poverty line, which from one source I read said that equated to about a $15 an an hour wage over like normal kind of full-time working hours. So that money is essentially protected, right? Like that, that 5% of discretionary income. So that 225% of the poverty line is saying like, okay, you know, here's a certain chunk of money that is not, does not count as discretionary income. That's kind of the baseline. You can almost think of it as like the, like a, like the standard tax deduction, Right. There's just a certain amount of money that, you know, certain taxes, you know, you don't pay certain taxes on because of that deduction. So there's that piece of it. Um, interestingly, too, um, and feel free to, to, to clarify, you know, somebody can correct me if, if I'm off here. But there are certain situations, I believe, based on income where folks would not be required to pay into their loans. But as part of that, their balance won't grow. So usually what happens with loans, for those who aren't familiar, is say you fail to pay, right? You borrow $100 and you need to pay $10 of interest. Like, let's say you don't pay anything back. Well, then the next year, you know, they might calculate your interest. You're going to pay interest on both your original loan plus the money that you haven't paid back. 
and it, it just starts stacking up, right? That's called compounding interest. We've talked about on the podcast in terms of investment returns. Obviously, compounding interest in a debt world, unless you're the lender, it's working against you, right? So you are, if your interest compounds, you are going further, further into debt faster. So I believe if you don't make, you don't, you don't reach that threshold over the 225%, you don't have to pay loans and the government essentially covers interest payments um, at that, at that stage. And then finally, they, uh, in line with the, the 10% discretionary income, there was also another piece where it used to be, if you hadn't paid your loans off in 20 years, I believe if you had a balance of $12,000 or less at that time, they pretty much just wiped it out, right? So if after 20 years you had $10,000 outstanding, government basically said, hey, you know, that's it. You're, you're done. You're paid in full. So now that has also been cut in half where the it is now a 10-year window. So if after 10 years you've made your payments on time and you have a balance of less than $12,000 left, the government writes it off and you are you no longer owe that remainder there. So very significant changes, right? Obviously, I think that $300 billion price tag I figured, or I, I, I cited at the beginning, I think that primarily focuses on the direct uh, debt relief. There's some of those other components that, you know, factor in where it's something where, you know, the government is covering interest payments. You also have to look at the cost too, as it's not necessarily like, you know, federal government dollars going out. It's more of federal revenue that isn't being received, if that makes sense. So it'd be like, you know, the difference is, say you go to a restaurant, you buy a meal, it's 10 bucks, right? You pay 10 bucks, that's money going out. Let's say you were due a bonus from work of $100 and then the bonus just never came. That's kind of the difference, right? Cash going out is an expense versus yeah, that bonus is just, it's lost revenue. It's money that you thought you were going to get, but you aren't actually receiving. So several components to it. And I can't even imagine how nuanced the actual regulatory text is going to get on just the number of different situations. From my understanding, again, this only applies to government loans, which is probably a distinction that's not being made clear enough out there in the public, um, where if you had a private loan, uh, do you qualify? Do you not? I'm not sure, right? We just have some incomplete information at, at this point in time. So that's the rundown on the plan, again, as it stands on on August 28th of 22 here. So big price tag, big shifts coming. What is, what's going to be the impact? So I'll get to that in a moment, but I want to take a step back, as I as I like to do, and look at the larger picture here and what the what we're trying to solve through this sort of regulatory action right what are what are the core issues at hand because my my challenge with things and this is just speaking more broadly not totally tied to this but there's plenty of opportunities in life where there's easy easy answers or knee jerk responses to problems that come up and if you take the easy way out or you focus on like, oh, what's the quickest answer? Like, oh, let's do that. That might not actually, that might not, that might have no effect. It might have a negative effect because it really, it doesn't do you any good to respond to something, to a hurdle or an issue that comes up in life without understanding the root cause of that. 
and tackling it there, right? If you only make surface level reactions or propose surface level solutions to a deeper issue, forward progress will not be made. And in fact, you'll often go backwards, right? You end up playing whack-a-mole in a sense. So let's take that step back. Let's look at the problems that we're trying to solve through this sort of kind of mass loan forgiveness and just regulatory change here. First and foremost, obviously it is a reduction in outstanding student debt. Um, this last figures that I saw and said student debt was at words of $1.6 trillion here in the U.S., which is which has grown massively, right? And that's, that's collectively all the student debt owed by, you know, American, American students here. So that is a massive problem in and of itself, right? In a time of, of rising costs and housing and food and, and other things, we have people that are more saddled with debt than, than ever before, specifically from, you know, academic experiences. So, that is an issue at hand, right? That's one, one item that we need to solve. What is, what is playing into that? So that's like the, the mid-tier issue is, okay, people are massively in debt from, from going to school. Why is that? Well, there's, I, there's I, uh, multiple factors that are going to go into this. I'm going to touch on three here, and, and we don't have to go crazy deep in this. But first and foremost, the really like how, how can people go into such massive debt somebody or some entity has to be willing to lend them money right and in the u.s for the past you know several decades that has been the u.s government so as part of a societal shift and wanting to encourage more and more people to go to college the federal government has really open the floodgates on on lending practices where now you can take out essentially if you you know there is a cap i don't know the number off the top of my head there is a cap on how much the student can take out for undergraduate programs but you can get parent loans where your parents essentially co-sign onto it which allow you to take out an unlimited amount and really there's not even there's not even a basis for you don't you don't have to justify the expenses like it's something where somebody could take out say ten thousand dollars in in loans and say hey eight thousand of this is for you know personal expenses and then who knows you know what they do with those funds like did that directly tie to their academic experience maybe maybe not right but the government has essentially just in a bid to have more people educated has allowed has provided the means for essentially anyone from, you know, any, any position to, to go to college in pursuit of, you know, any sort of field of study that they want. Right. So really unlimited, you know, no holds barred there. So that's challenge number one, right? How do people get in debt? Someone's willing to give them money and the government so far has stepped into that role for the past several decades. And in turn, what has happened there? the cost of school has gone up dramatically. If you look at, even with all, you know, the recent last year or so of inflation, it's not even close at how the cost of school has has gone up so much. It's it's crazy. You look at, you know, same school in the 90s might have cost a few thousand bucks. Now it's, who knows, could be $40,000 a year, right? The tuition, room, board, fees, 
everything has gone up exponentially and we have to ask ourselves why how how is that happening how can schools essentially get away with that and it's this vicious cycle right where and just kind of touching on the third point there's a societal pressure to go to college so there's that piece from from a community level all the way through you know the national scale people say hey you have to go to college like that's that's a must that's what everybody says so we have this thing where now 17 18 year old kids are being told by every you know most people in their lives or just you know different just corporations you know just for being competitive in the workforce it's like yeah you have to have a college degree to you know to compete well so kids 17 or 18 say okay well yeah i need to go to college how do i do that okay i don't have any money i don't have my $45,000 a year to go to school so i can uh, let me go to the government like i can i can borrow the money and go to school and that drives up the demand for college artificially i mean it's not really artificial it's, it's just realistic but think about back to the the cost of school going up dramatically so right now say there's 100 students and with the current lending practices all 100 kids can afford to pay you know afford in quotes can afford to pay the $45,000 a year to go to a school right if there was stricter lending policies or there was a cap on how much money you could borrow maybe now out of that 100 pool of kids what if only 15 of them can pay $45,000 a year and then 20 could pay 40,000 25 could pay 35,000 hopefully you can see where I'm going with that right by the by the way of students being able to borrow anything and everything they need to go to the school that they want to go to schools have no downside right what's their what's their downside risk they can just keep raising prices and they know their kids are going to keep borrowing more money to go there and the cycle just it's a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point right you know oh college is expensive i gotta borrow money so i can go and pay for this expensive school now that i borrowed money i can go there so there's more demand to go there and the schools go oh well yeah i mean we might like we're totally full and you know we're turning kids away might as well keep raising prices right there's no reason not to or it even gets worse when then now there's a competition for for students or for like you know the the best and the brightest students or really just I mean, students in general, too. So now schools are spending a ton of money on amenities and facilities. And, you know, of course, there's core academic improvements that are going on, too. But there's other things that are happening that are really superficial to the direct college educational experience. But schools are investing a ton of money in there because they're like, oh, well, yeah, if we don't have a state-of-the-art, you know, rec center with an, with an awesome, you know, in three indoor heated Olympic pools or whoever, you know, whatever else is out there. Oh, we're not, we're not going to get students. We're going to lose them. So we're going to spend a bunch of money. Oh, we're spending money. Well, now we got to raise prices too. Right. So it, you can see how it starts building on itself. People who some like people who are borrowing beyond their means to go to a school that's already more expensive than it should be props that school up and allows them to continue raising prices with no downside. I mean, the downside technique is, is so far downstream. It, it's, 
it, we're seeing it right now, right? It's people that are 35, 40, 45 that started like as these new lending policies came into play, they borrowed a ton of money to go to those schools. And now they're trying to buy homes. They're trying to have families, things like that. And they're like, they're permanently handicapped by the debt that they took out. And I'll, I'll talk about this in a minute, but there a large portion of me does not, I place almost no blame on the students and I'll, I'll talk on that in a bit. So those are the problems it's trying to solve, right? Student debt is massive because the cost of school has gone up. There's a pressure for people to go to college and then all those things compound on each other to lead to higher education cost and increased borrowing, which increases the amount of student debt outstanding. So that's how we've gotten into this position today. Now, think back to what we just talked about, what this plan entails of some direct forgiveness, like uh, you know, reduction in the thresholds of how much people need to pay back and who even has to pay back, right? This gets into why I firmly believe from a pure this is a pure economic position again. I'm not talking politics. I don't doesn't matter if this came from a democratic or a republican administration. It is to me this is a failed policy because it does nothing to address those core issues I just talked about. So you could say, "Well, hey, you know at the top level, if there's 1.6 trillion dollars of student debt out there, well let's say those, you know, the 300 billion dollar number is right." Oh great. Well that, you know, that knocks our balance from 1.6 to 1.3 trillion. A is that really is that a, is that the best, you know, reward we can get on spending 300 billion dollars? Could we do something more effective with that? But again, it doesn't it's it, it's a surface level solution. It it sounds good, right? It it sounds really good, but it doesn't address the core problems at hand. Nothing in this plan changes government lending practices, right? That's as it stands. There's there's no changes there. Kids can still borrow essentially unlimited amounts of money for you know a student level for their parents, and that's the one thing that's you know that's heartbreaking to me that that component of the parents can take out unlimited loans for their kids. What kind of position does that put parents in? Your kid wants to go to school. Maybe they could be the first kid in the whole family to go to school and get a degree, right? And they might not be able to borrow enough on their own. So they, they come to you and say, hey, mom, hey, dad, I I really want to go to school more than anything. This is my dream school to pursue my dream program. I can't borrow enough. Well, are you willing to sign on with me? How could How could parents say no to that? It preys on loving parents who want the best for their kids. That is is heartbreaking. And now not only does that put the student in jeopardy, that puts the that puts a huge economic burden on the parents themselves. And say, you know, what if a, a student borrows $150,000 and they choose a career path that maybe averages $45,000 a year in salary? Like now the parents are responsible, they're partially responsible or could be wholly responsible to pay back that balance. And not only have you indebted one generation, but two, and then now just, you know, multiply that across multiple kids. That is, it's a, it's a very, it's a very tough position. So the fact that it doesn't, it doesn't tackle lending practices, doesn't, 
you know, is, is a, is a core failure that there needs to be some limitations on that. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but again, from again, from an economic standpoint, it puts one to two generations or multiple generations just in general of family members at risk. And that's going to continue. (laughs) It's absolutely going to continue. And second point here is this plan does nothing to rein in the cost of college, right? Absolutely nothing. And it's realistically is only going to exacerbate it. It's only going to make it worse because schools have never been on the hook for their students to repay, right? They've been able to charge more and more and more. Kids leave with more debt. And if the, if the, if the student can't repay it, they file for bankruptcy, right? Or they're indebted for life. What does the school get? What's, what are they on the hook for? Nothing, right? They essentially, they took on a student who either went through a program that ended up not being able to sustain their lifestyle, or maybe they took on a student who should have pursued a a different particular path, right? So there's, there's the colleges again, have been, have been let off the hook with this. And does anybody think that the direct forgiveness is going to reduce the cost of college? There was some language in the announcement that said something about, you know, instructing the universities and colleges across the country to, to rein in cost. There was some quote within the announcement about that. And it was just, it's honestly just laughable because if anything, colleges have more incentive now to raise prices even more, don't they? They just had, they just had a whole, you know, several classes, multiple generations of students who have come through that have been indebted that are now getting, uh, direct forgiveness. So colleges don't, I mean, they don't even have to worry about the reputational piece of that. They can raise costs and because the, you know, the lending practices are still as they are. I mean, what's to stop them? Absolutely nothing. And, you know, another piece that's really, again, this is, it, this kind of hits home for me more than anything, because like I said, this podcast at its core is to educate people out there on more than just academia, right? The goal is to give through the podcast and just through capital adulting in general. I want to empower people to be well-versed in making financial decisions and not going in blind and not falling victim to societal pressure without understanding, you know, both the upside and downside like I'm not coming out against anything in terms of like going to college or, you know, there's, I've benefited greatly from going to school. Right. But the problem with this policy is we're spending three to 500 or maybe more billion dollars. And there is not one penny of that going to educate people on financial literacy which is uh, which is a travesty it it wholeheartedly is because that is the most important thing that we could do how do we again i look at problems how do we solve the core issue and the core issue is even beyond 
bad lending practices and colleges taking advantage and maybe society like artificially pushing more people towards college than we really need to. Beyond all of that, it's the fact that we ask 17 and 18 year old kids to make decisions about the rest of their life and then we hammer them with the financial consequences. But they're asked to make those decisions with absolutely no guidance. None. Right. So imagine you're in your like, think back to your high school days. You're you're in class, you know, everybody remembers the, those high school dynamics. You're sitting in class, you have a group of friends, everyone's talking about like, oh, I'm applying to this school, I'm applying to that. Oh, I'm going to get in here, I'm going to go there, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Right. Imagine being someone in that room who, uh, you know, maybe they're uncertain about college or they're like, I can't really afford it. Right. There's the peer pressure component of now they're being, you know, pushed into to going to, to school. And it, how do they have a frame of reference for the financial consequences? Right. Like if at 17 years old, say you're signing up for one hundred and fifty thousand dollars of debt. How can you even fathom that other than, let's say you're working at, I don't know, maybe you're working at a, at a restaurant or you have some, you know, a classic high school kind of job. And if you're making whatever, 15 bucks an hour, think about that, that assuming no other cost that it would take, and that I'm also excluding interest here, but if you were a hundred, owed a hundred, borrowed $150,000, you would have to work 10,000 hours to pay that back at 15 bucks an hour with no interest. That's basically five full working years just to pay, again, ignoring all of their costs. Like, how can, how can someone possibly make an informed decision with, with, without, without any financial background or guidance or anything along those lines? It's just, it's heartbreaking that, you know, kids like, we don't in the US kids aren't trusted to to drink until they're 21 but they can borrow six figures of debt at 17 or 18 and people pat them on the back right that that is a core issue that in my mind absolutely has to change uh, another challenge that i have with this policy is it it puts the next generation and all further generations at even more risk, right? Because like I just said, there's no there's no educational component that's tied into this. There's nothing to give people the toolkit they need to make smart decisions on this front, right? It's just going to continue as is, and things are just going to compound. But what's more dangerous is, you know, it's 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 been floated for, I don't know, maybe the last five, maybe 10 years talking about student loan forgiveness, probably more so in the last two or three. Um, but that it was it was hypothetical right when kids were making a college decision they were thinking oh yeah i know the idea has been floated but you know no one's ever done forgiveness like on a mass scale before so you know i shouldn't i shouldn't count on that but this is setting a precedent right this is assuming it's it, it, it holds through potential legal challenges this will set a precedent that when the situation gets bad enough the government will come in with an economic, uh, change, right? So now that changes the calculus as a kid, like 
again, it's hard to comprehend $150,000 of debt, but what if you go, well, yeah, I know like my, you know, my older brother, or older sister got 10,000 off. Like I could probably take this on and I bet in five years or so, maybe they'll forgive 50,000, right? Maybe I'll never have to pay this back because there's been tangible changes in that direction. So I'm going to, again, I'm going to talk a little bit more about kind of my view on in, in a few minutes. I'm just laying that piece out there, right? It establishes a precedent that is only going to negatively impact kids over the next you know, five to 10 years. So yeah, again, I'm not, I don't want to take the political track too and talk about the effects to other stakeholders in the country. This is just more for the folks that I'm trying to reach with the podcast that if you're looking to go, you know, if you're going to be in college in the next five or 10 years, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame you for thinking that, Hey, if this goes through, why wouldn't they forgive more in the future and baking that in? And the only thing that's going to do is lead to more heartache and in a bigger financial issue for the country. Last issue I'll touch on is, is the inflationary pressure. That'll probably, that'll, that's going to come from this. Um, it's not, to me, it's not the main talking point. It's the, the politically popular one to mention right now. You know, it's the nature again, it's not, it's not $300 billion of cash going out. It's that, that lost revenue, which in turn, maybe it's saved, maybe it's invested, maybe it's spent, right? Maybe it just never existed to begin with, but it is money that was put in circulation that is now free to essentially continue circulating. Um, I think to, to me, the, the bigger damaging element on the inflation side of things has been the student loan pause for the last two and a half, what will end up being about two and a half years, because there was a lot of people that were in a financial position where they were living paycheck to paycheck while paying student loans. So maybe they were spending $500 a month on their loans and, and scraping by, but for the last two and a half years, those have been, those have been paused. Right. And so now that's enough time to get accustomed to a totally new lifestyle. And so once those payments kick back in, like, you know, what, what's going to happen? Are we going to see more bankruptcies and people, people struggling to get by? And I understand the counter argument there is, oh, well, you know, for a lot of people like that, you know, this relief is going to make a meaningful difference. It might pay off the loans for a lot of people. I hear you there. And I would be happy about that. If again, we solve the core issues because Yes, it works out for the people who happen to be in that that range right now. But what about someone again who's who's starting colleges next who's starting college next year or two years from now? Like they're not going to they're not going to get any relief and they're just going to pay higher tuition and higher interest rates, you know, because we've had to raise interest rates to try to tamp down inflation. So it it's not in the longer run, it, it poses more of an inflationary threat, but it is something that is worth mentioning and kind of keeping an eye out on. So those are the main reasons why I, you know, I, I struggle a lot personally with, with this kind of policy change, not because I'm not, I'm not happy for people who this will be life-changing, which hopefully there are a lot of folks out there. My concern is like, you know, <laughs> Is it, is it really enough to be totally life-changing to people? But it's, we, 
it's a huge investment in the country that's not going to yield the payoff that we want because it jeopardizes the next generations. You know, my kind of jumping into at least my perspective on it from the economic side of things is we need comprehensive reform on that front. So I could see it making sense where if we had a, you know, a full blown plan and it was like, Hey, we understand we've identified these core issues. We want to tackle them. Here's our plan to do it. And one component of that plan is we want to start the country with a bit of a cleaner slate, right? You know, it's never forgiveness would never be fair in any context because there's going to be a generation before that paid everything off. There's going to be a generation after that wouldn't be eligible for it. Right. But you know, there is, there is value in like putting the country, you know, starting the country with a clean slate if we tackle the underlying problems. So if we baked in, if there was a forgiveness component with a change in the government lending practices, right? If we, main thing, if we made high school financial education a must have component of the curriculum, right? That's, Let's start there. Let's give students a fair shot to take stock of the the landscape before them and understand like, yeah, like, hey, you know what? My my friends are going to a four-year school and they're all going to take on six-figure debt. Well, you know, maybe I'll go to a trade school. Maybe I'll do community college for a couple of years and get a scholarship to a four-year school, right? There are different paths available, which we should encourage. We should, we need to protect our students who are some of the most vulnerable and impressionable people. So that's something in my mind, if we tackled the financial education piece, if we adjusted the lending practices, that's naturally going to push the cost of college back down as the demand for it is recalibrated. And that again, if we, if we give people a sustainable way to borrow, that that is such a huge win if we if we can teach people the virtues of good of good debt that's that is a lifetime win that's something that most people go through their lives and and never fully understand so that's my solution and if if part of that meant like hey you know we're we're going to start we're going to start at a clean point here like we're going to invest in you know freeing up the people that have been handicapped for a while while putting policies in place to ensure this won't happen again, that is the ideal outcome. And as with most things in, in life, usually the answer is like in the middle ground, right? My concern is we're going to look up in 10 years, student loans are gonna, will have gone from $1.3 trillion to $3 trillion, right? Private schools cost $100K a year or more on average. State schools are pushing up right there with them. We're, we're going to see that without some sort of major course correction. And it's just, it's tough to swallow for me that this is a three to $500 billion bandaid, right? That's really what it comes down to. It's, it's temporary relief, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, great. You have a, a massive like wound and you put a, you know, put a patch of gauze over it and it stems the bleeding for a little bit. Like that's about all we're doing with this. And it's a huge economic investment to make to not yield results that we need, we need as a country. And again, I'm saying that from an economic standpoint, we need people to be in positions where they're not 
saddled with debt for life. We need them to have the education, the understanding to make smart financial decisions so that they don't get into those positions. And it's never, there's no world in which we can ever solve for that entirely. But there is so much low-hanging fruit here right now that we could accomplish in tandem with something like this. And it just feels like it's it's an opportunity that we're we're let go by and it's it's gonna haunt us ten years down the road and it's just that's it's just it's just tough. It's it's very tough. And uh there's also the economic concern too of the idea of this kind of this magnitude of a financial decision being made by just the the president and it doesn't matter what the party right it doesn't matter who is in in office the whole point of the government is to is that congress has the power of the port the purse so that way there is balance in how you know how the country's resources are allocated so there is concern on that front too where you know that we've seen there's been other leaders that have done similar maneuvering by declaring emergencies and reallocating funds but this is a new scale so that's another thing where just we're looking towards you know for the american future on the financial side of things like how comfortable are we with that and as mentioned it is a bad precedent to set we now have and those impressionable high schoolers are going to be making decisions we have a new you know New school year's kicking off. That we have kids that are applying right now, looking to make college decisions in the next six to ten months, and this is going to be top of mind for them. So maybe they bake that into their their equations and how they're determining where they're going to go to school, and we might end up with the, this next generation may be, you know, the most heavily indebted one yet because of that. So. That is my perspective on it. I think, you know, if you stuck with me this whole way, I certainly appreciate it. Really, my closing thought on this for, you know, specifically geared towards the people that that listen to this and want to make smart financial decisions, my the biggest encouragement I can give you is do not do anything before this everything has been finalized. And a sense of like, if you think you're getting $10,000 of student loan relief or 20000 press, hit the brakes hard. Don't go out and buy a new car, or borrow more money, or do something different, right? Expecting that money to come. Because right now, what I can tell you, the only thing I would expect is a legal challenge. And there's, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not an, I'm not an expert on the, on the side of the law, but Something where, you know, Trump administration put out a memo saying that they didn't believe that it had the constitutional authority to forgive get, forgive loans in that sense. Biden earlier in his administration didn't think he had the authority. So it's something that, you know, the, the levers of the government are going to have to work here and see what happens. But it, it just would be a travesty as if someone's like, Hey, I'm getting this forgiveness. Like I'm going to go out and like, I'm going to make these purchases or I'm going to do this or do that under the expectation that that money is coming and it never does. And now they've compounded their debt dramatically. So my biggest encouragement to y'all let, let's see where the, let's see where the cards fall first. See, see what happens. And 
you know, once you have money in hand, then I'd say, you know, <laughs> you, you can plan, you can bank on that. Anyways, I know I went a little bit longer on this one. Y'all can probably tell this isn't, this isn't the most fun topic for me to talk about just because I know it's controversial and I didn't, it is in its current form. Yeah. There's, there's going to be an economic benefit to, to a good contingent of folks out there, but you know, we do have to look beyond ourselves at some point, right? For, yeah, there's no, if you say you do get the 10 or $20,000 in debt relief and, and that's a huge win for you like that, that's great. Feel free to, to celebrate it. But at the same time, don't forget your fellow Americans. Don't forget the kids who are entering high school, about to leave high school. They're making the same decision that, that you made, right? Now they have different information that's changing their outlook on that. And they are, they're in the same exact position that, that you were in. So feel free to celebrate that. But Keep that in mind. Think about what are the what are the longer term impacts. What what's going to be the downstream effect here? Um, and just remembering that there's more there's there's more to life and more to you know just really wanting to care for folks than what's happening in our in our immediate bubble. So with that, I'll go ahead and wrap it up. For those of you who have stuck with me the whole time, I really appreciate it. For anybody who has any feedback, you always know where to find me. Be happy to, to talk a little bit more about this. Um, and we'll see what happens. Probably going to be an interesting remainder of 22 and into 23. So, as always, thanks for listening. Reach out with any questions. But until next time, I hope you all take care. <laughs>